You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So we are in Matthew again, so we're getting close to finishing up this book. Uh, Our two-and-a-half-year journey through this book is coming to a close. Uh, We'll wrap this thing up on the Sunday after Easter. Today, we are in Matthew 26, Um, so I want to encourage you, if you are able, to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. We're going to start at verse 69 and read down to chapter 27, verse 10. So hear the Word of the Lord. Now, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl approached him and said, You were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I I don't know uh, what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and, and told those that were there, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you really are one of them since even your accent gives you away. And then he started to curse and to to swear an oath. I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, they they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. What's that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed, and then he went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver and said, it's not permitted to put into the temple treasury since it's blood money. They conferred together, bought the potter's field with this burial place for foreigners. Therefore, that field has been called blood field to this day. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him, whose price was set by the Israelites, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we, we come humbly hands open to receive from you, God. Our posture is one that's always under the word of God, neither above it and over it, but always sitting under it. And so may our, may our hearts be in that kind of similar posture today as we, as we hear what you have to say to us, Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I think the question I want to uh, answer this morning from this text, because I think it is in the passage here, and I know it's not a, uh, a real light way to talk at the beginning here. It's not a great way to kind of intro. Usually, like, try to start light, maybe get you to laugh a little bit, and then bring it in. Uh, today, we might start a little, little heavy and 
It may not lighten up very much because the passage is kind of heavy. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's bad, isn't it, if you listen to what we just got done reading. I'd like for you to think about like when you really blew it, like when you really failed. So I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about the small failures that we probably do on a daily basis. You know, you uh, forget the, the bread for, at the grocery store. I don't know. You, you know, went there to get bread and you forgot, you know. Or you forgot to follow up with somebody that said, hey, reach out to me today or reach out to me this week and you forgot to do that. I mean, those are, yeah, those can have some problems relationally maybe, but that's not the ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about ones where you violated your conscience. Like moral failures, sin. A place where you really blew it. The question I want to ask and answer hopefully this morning is, where do you go with that? I I don't know about you, there's, I'm sure all of us in this room, including me, have said lies, and we've tried to navigate stories and situations to where we can kind of cover up, and then we get caught in that lie. Normally what comes on you is, is guilt. It's almost like this weight. Where, where do you go with that? Some of us established some relational boundaries when we were dating and said, hey, we're not going to cross these. And you crossed them before you got married. And even today, there are times you may wrestle with that guilt of violating what you promised you would do and you didn't do it. Where, where do you go? Where do you go with that? Even some of you come in here this morning and made promises to, to friends, to a spouse, whatever, say, hey, I promise I'm not going to look at this anymore. I, I'm not. I'm done. And this week you did. And even now, no one knows about it. And it feels like somebody just put a big weight on your chest. Where are you going with that? I sat down with friends whose marriage failed. Doesn't matter whose fault it is. You feel this weight. Couldn't follow through with the vows that I made 10, 15, 20 years, whatever they are. Like, where do we go? When we feel this weight of guilt that every single one of us, this is, this is all of humanity, no matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, like you feel this. When you blow it, when you violate your moral conscience that's been given to you as a gift from God, where do you go? This passage here today, I mean, as you felt over these last few Sundays, these are some, some of the most darkest hours of Jesus' life. These are some of the most darkest moments that we see in the gospel of Matthew. And these, this is what we just read here is probably the, the darkest hours for both Peter and Judas. It's interesting that, that Matthew specifically puts these stories right beside each other. You got Peter's denial and then Judas's betrayal. And, and the question you've got to 
ask yourself, and what I think Matthew's wanting us to ask is, what's the difference here? One ends with restoration, forgiveness, and a restored relationship. And the other one ends with despair and death. What is the difference? That's the question he's wanting us to ask and wrestle with. And with that answer, I think what I'm putting before you is also going to give us an answer of where do we go when we feel this guilt that feels like an elephant is sitting on our chest. So most of us remember a little bit about this story in the sense of like just a few hours before this, um, Jesus predicts his betrayal. He basically looks at Judas and says, you're the one. There's a private conversation that he has with him. And we've already seen the scene where he does that in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, in this, you know, the Last Supper, he also, not only does he predict his betrayal of Judas and said, basically, you're the guy. He looks at Peter, and you guys remember this, and, and Peter's going, man, I'm not going to leave you. I know you're saying everybody else is going to. I don't know about these bozos, but man, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be there. I'm going to stand strong. And even if I have to die, Jesus, I am never, ever going to deny you. And it's like we put up, we get a pause here, right, on what's going on, these declarations of of Jesus' prediction that's going to happen with Judas and Peter. And then Matthew now kind of picks that story up and sort of closes out the, uh, this open-endedness. Well, what happened to, to Peter and Judas? Did, did what Jesus say, you know, happen? And so we see uh, Matthew picking this up, first starting with Peter here in verse 69. And notice, and we'll see this, I'll walk through this real quickly. There are kind of three different little scenes, and each scene is escalating on each other. And not only are they escalating on each other, even Peter's response in each of these scenes is escalating. And you'll notice also physically, his physical body is moving further and further away from Jesus. So he follows Jesus into this little makeshift trial, so to speak, to kind of see what's going on. And then look what happens here in this first scene that starts with Peter in verse 69. It says this, Now, Peter was sitting outside, notice where he is, in the courtyard. And a servant girl, one person, one one little servant girl approached him. And he said this, you you were with Jesus the Galilean too. And notice his response here. But he denied in front of everyone, I I don't know what you're talking about. And so the, the response is kind of this little, you know, kind of an evasive denial. You know, it's not like an outright denial, but almost a little bit of a soft, hidden denial. And notice where he was. Courts, court, courtyard, kind of by side of fireside, you know, kind of like, you know, warming his hands up or whatever. And a small little servant girl says, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of his followers? So that's scene one. Look how it intensifies and starting in scene two, verse 71, when he had gone out to the gateway. Now he's moving further away from Jesus. He was by this courtyard, a little fire going on. Now he's moving out to the gateway here. And look what happens. Another woman saw him and then in, involves other people and told those that were there and said, Hey, this man was uh, with Jesus, the Nazarene. And then verse 72, and again, Peter denied now with an oath. See, the intensity rises a little bit. And he says, I don't know the man. So here, another girl, group of people. Hey, you know Jesus. Getting further away from him in the gateway now. And now he kind of denies with this oath. I I don't, it's not invasive. It's not like kind of hidden. It's a declaration. I don't know him. And then it, Escalates even more in scene three there, starting in verse 73, where it says this, after a little while, 
while those standing there approached and said to Peter, so it's a group of people now that are coming together and approaching Jesus. Not just one girl, not just a girl and a, and a group of people, but a group of people are coming to him. And they said this, you, you really are one of them since, you, since even your accent gives you away. And then notice his response. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know the man. And then we see in the next verse, now he's outside. So first scene, evasive. Ah, I don't really know him that much. Second scene, I swear, I don't know the man. Third scene, he curses. And most likely here with this started to curse, he's beginning to curse Jesus as a way of disassociating himself from Jesus. So it's not just swearing with an oath, but there's, there's a way in which this denial is, 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 is escalates to where he's now cursing Jesus as a way to show them that I don't know the man. And so yes, one denial is bad enough and three is really over the top, but this last one has a way of just like, man, such a strong way of just sealing it to some extent where he's now cursing this, this man he loves. A friend of his. I don't know him. And this is coming from the one who just hours before this, in verse 33 of the same, or 35 in the same chapter, where he says this, even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. Pride always goes before the fall. Proverbs 29, 23 says this, once pride will bring him low. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When author says it like this, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Let's all just sit with that for a second. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Then we read in the second half of verse 74 where it says this, and immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Every single one of us in this room knows exactly what Peter is feeling because every single one of us in this room, including me, has denied Jesus. We have all been there and cowered under pressure when we knew we needed to speak up for Jesus because we were afraid of what others may think of us. Every single one of us know exactly what Peter is feeling. This is Peter's darkest moment of his life. This is 
by far his greatest failure. And all he has right now is to sit in his own guilt and shame and grief. And the lingering question that Matthew wants us to be asking is this, because he doesn't give us the full story. John 21 does. It comes back and we know the whole full restoration of what happens with Peter and, and the book of Acts also. Matthew hints at it, right? Because after Jesus' resurrection, he says, then the 11, right? Which would include Peter. But in this place right here, Matthew leaves it lingering. He doesn't close it out to say, well, well, we know what happened to Peter, blah, blah, blah. No. And the reason why is he wants us to begin to ask and think about these questions. Is there a way forward for Peter? Is there? And I know we know all these answers. If you grew up in church, I get it. We know sort of the whole story, like I said, but I'm just, I'm wanting us to try to do what Matthew is wanting us to do with not without giving the bookend or the, the nice ribbon on top and how it all worked out for Peter. No, right here, right now, Peter's wondering this. Is there a place for me to take my guilt? I promise, I looked him in the eyes and said, I would never deny you. And few hours later, I'm telling a servant girl, I don't know you. Cursed, blanketed, blank, blank, blank. I don't know the man. Man, like, guys, I mean, I think all of us could sit in his shoes. Do you feel the guilt that he would be experiencing right now? And the question that Matthew wants us to ask, is there a hope for Peter? Don't jump to Jesus so quickly. Sit with that. Is there a place that we can go for our failures? Is there a place where Peter's guilt can be removed, where his conscience is clean and he's redeemed? Is there a way that his relationship with Jesus, a man he loved, a man he would see as a dear friend of his, can this relationship be restored? Is there a way for Jesus to forgive him? That's what Matthew's wanting us to sit with. Where can Peter go with this massive failure? And then there's another failure right after Peter's. And this is right up against this on purpose. And it's Judas. Look what he says here in verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and, and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And he said, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And so right here, something, something turns on for Judas that had been turned off, right? There was something turned off in Judas to where he goes to the religious leaders and he he says, hey, I'll, I'll betray him. Give me some money for that. Or something that's turned off when, they're, when he comes with, you know, this mob here in the garden who exists in him and he comes up to this man that, that's treating him with kindness and love and patience and been so forgiving of Judas and he, and he kisses him on the cheek and says, he's your guy. There, there's something in the soul of Judas that had been turned off. But now all of a sudden it's turned back on. There's something here that happens when he sees that Jesus is being condemned, that, that something in him turns back on and going, oh my goodness, what, what in the world have I done here? We don't know exactly what it is. We can kind of speculate. Maybe he heard that Jesus didn't try to defend himself in this, this sham of a trial that he's going through. Maybe he heard that Jesus 
when he got beaten and just like to a pulp by the religious leaders, smacking him in the face and beating him and spitting on him, that Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't respond back to them, didn't, you know, speak out evil curses toward them. Maybe he's, he's, he's remembering what Jesus taught them and, and seeing Jesus embody this love for your enemies, this turning of the other cheek. And it's like, oh my goodness, the, the enormity of what he has done, that he has betrayed innocent blood and he has this kind of last ditch effort to minimize his guilt he he's full of remorse some translation says he was seized with remorse the english standard version says he he changed his mind this word for remorse means to have regrets about something in the sense that one wishes it could be undone but at the same time listen to him this is very important we'll come back to this in just a few minutes it's a different word than repentance it doesn't mean that he didn't feel sorrow here. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have remorse here. But Matthew specifically chose not to use the word repentance here. He goes and, and confesses to them, I have sinned. And he tries to make restitution by returning the money. And then look what happens here starting in the second half of verse 4. The religious leaders say, what's that to us? See to it yourself. I mean, how callous is that? So he threw the silver into the temple and departed, and then he went and hanged himself. Because this is heartbreaking. And, and, and I put before you that it needs to bother us. For some of us, including me, sometimes when I read this text or when I've read it in the past, and even starting this week, I just, I can read it with a callous heart toward Judas. Well, you know, you portrayed Jesus, that's what you deserve. And so what I, what I want here is a heart that is broken for Judas, that, that he is in such a deep hole, that he's in such a darkness, that, that he cannot imagine a way out, that, he's, that he doesn't have any idea of where, where their hope could be. I mean, he's such at a broken place that his only option that he feels like he can do something with his guilt is to take his own life. And sometimes I look at this and I'm just kind of callous. I'm more like the religious leader saying, well, you made your bed, Judas, lie in it. I said, I want my heart to be broken for this man. I want your heart to be broken for this man because I guarantee you there are some of us in this room who know exactly what Judas is feeling like. And your only option you think right now is to take your own life. And my heart and this heart of this church is I want to have compassion toward that. And my fear is that I'm more like the religious leaders. And maybe you are too. You got yourself in this mess. Get yourself out of it. What's that to me? Deal with your own pain of guilt. You betrayed him. This is horrifying and sad. And it needs to make us all grieve. Not say, well, that's what you deserved. I think we have a tendency to look at the story of Judas and wonder, you know, was this sort of a, a deathbed repentance? Was this kind of sort of a, a deathbed conversion for Judas? I mean, is Judas in heaven with Jesus now? And I'm not saying that we, we can't have conversations around that question, 
Uh, I'm not saying that that's not a bad question to, to talk about. But I would, would put before you that that's not the question that Matthew's wanting us to answer. That's not why he has this right beside Peter. The reason that Matthew is telling this story is not for us to determine the destiny of Jesus, but rather it's right beside Peter for us to reflect upon what is the difference. Peter's story ends with forgiveness and restoration and redemption. And Judas's story ends with failure, despair, and death, tragically. So, so Matthew is wanting us like, what is the difference? Peter went out and wept bitterly. Judas went out and hung himself. What, what's going on here? What's the difference? And, and I get it. There's, there's way more complexity here than what we can all kind of unpack in 30 minutes. But I, but I am trying to narrow this down for us to see kind of the, at the core of what the difference here is this, is the difference between remorse and repentance. That's the difference. It's a difference between remorse and repentance or what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 where it talks about worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Remorse is primarily a change of mind. It's all about the horizontal. Repentance has to do with the change of heart. It has to do everything with the vertical. Like I have sinned against God and God alone, not just you, but ultimately my sin is always against God and I'm gonna be held accountable to God for my sin. And repentance is about a change of heart. Remorse is primarily about a change of mind. And I just want to put before us, look, you can feel bad about your sin and still not be right with God. That's what Matthew's trying to help us see in this text. It's a warning for us to wake up. That just because you feel bad that you cheated on a test does not mean you're right with God. Just because you feel bad at looking at porn this week does not mean you're right with God. Just because you feel bad that you lied to so-and-so or whatever does not mean you are right with God. Judas is an example for us as one who is remorse over his sin, a change of mind, but it's only horizontal. Jesus never remembers the words of Jesus. He didn't even make any kind of connection of this vertical damage of his sin of betrayal did. None. It's horizontal. Yes, Judas knew the Old Testament. He knew in Deuteronomy, it says that cursed is the man who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. And this truth was an enormous guilt that Judas was carrying and feeling here. And Judas took his life in an anguish attempt to atone for his own guilt. Judas feels terrible, deep sorrow for what he has done, but because he didn't take his sin to God, he took it upon himself. There is no repentance here, just remorse. One commentator says it like this, we are grateful that Judas changed his mind Confess the sin and return the money. But isn't repentance a coming to the Lord? Judas does almost all the right things except go to Jesus. And if that had been impossible, right? Jesus was in custody. 
Should he have not cried out and gone to God? For the gospel of the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is that God forgives the penitent who comes to him. Judas turns every which way but to God. Judas, who is overwhelmed by his guilt, cannot imagine a world, or better yet, cannot imagine a God who would have enough forgiveness and grace and mercy to cover what he has done. There was no space, no room in Judas's heart or mind for the experience of being forgiven. A space for a God who forgives, a space for a God who shed his own blood so that Judas could be forgiven of even his sin of betrayal. There's no place for that in his life. So he took his life. Peter, on the other hand, he repented. It was a change of heart. He was broken and contrite and hard before God. His, he was broken over his sin against Jesus. He, like King David, understood and realized that he has he sinned against God and gets God alone, and that's it. And he remembered the very words of Jesus that both pierced him and kept him. He doesn't give up on his life. He doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't think there's any hope. But he sees the hope of the new covenant, which Jesus talked about in the Last Supper, where he said this in chapter 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is what? Which is what? Which is poured out for many. And that many included Judas. And that many definitely included Peter. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. This is, this is the hope that Peter was hanging on to. This is, this is the lingering question. Could this be true? That my denial can be forgiven? I'm going to kind of hang on to this truth. This new covenant is all about us living with these new desires that want to live under the reign and rule of, rule of God. A people who have been forgiven of their past, present, and future sins, no matter how big, no matter how dark, no matter how heavy, no matter how big it was that you blew it. The gospel is good news that there's always hope for the repentant sinner who comes to God. And that deserves a little amen, even though it's really weird and muffled. And I'll say it again. The good news of the gospel is that it's, there's always hope for the repentant sinner who comes to God. You're never met with this. Never. Look at the whole of the Bible. God always receives the one who's repentant and broken over a sin. And Peter is hanging on. We see in John chapter 21, I encourage you to go home and read through it. You see the full restoration of, G, of, of Peter there, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. That he can be forgiven, that he can be restored because of what Jesus does on the cross a few hours later, that there is hope for him. There is. And there's hope for you. So we go back to the beginning. Where do you go? Like all of us have a common experience of guilt. Well, where do you go? I mean, I know we got places where we can go and numb things and, and maybe it fixes it for a little while, right? It's like a little Band-Aid. 
I watched the movie, I watched the show, whatever, surfed a little bit, bought some things, you know what I'm saying? Like there's ways that we can kind of like, all right, make ourselves feel a bit, it comes back. I think there's two options of where we can go when we've really blown it. The first one is this, is that you just buried the burden yourself. And that's what some of you are choosing to do. You can try to atone for your own failure and you can kind of choose to stay in your guilt and try to bear it on yourself. There's a better way. There really is. The better way is that Jesus bears your burden. Jesus takes on your guilt. Jesus forgives your sins. You come to him and repent and receive from him. And he will take this guilt. I'm, I know it's, it's a lifelong journey of, 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 of experiencing that freedom, but man, it's also a one-time declaration when that happens, all that guilt is removed. It's a lifetime journey of living into that. But in that moment, man, you are declared not guilty. Every one of us in this room, we have sinned and we have sinned greatly. We are all, including me, huge moral failures. We have blown it in so many ways. And we hide it really well on Sundays and we roll in here and we look really good and we look like we have it all together. But I'm telling you right now, you know the truth and so does God know the truth about your lives. And the devil will attack your conscience, pounding home the conviction that you're unlovable, that God could not possibly love and forgive you. But the cross tells us a different story. And it's such good news that an innocent man whose name is Jesus was killed for my sin and for your sin, for my failures and your failures so that I can go to him and be cleansed of my guilty conscience and receive forgiveness that I desperately need. And so do you, because your sin is just not here. It's here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you get this. And I just said it a few minutes ago, but this is not a one-time deal, right? This is a continual thing that you're always bringing this to him. You're going to still blow it. You're still going to fail. You're not perfect yet. That doesn't come to the new heavens and the new earth. So you're going to continue to do things that you should not do. You're going to violate your moral conscience. And here's the thing that we know about the gospel is that when you go to him, our father, our father, and you confess, like, man, he's, he's receiving you like this all the time. Even if it's the same one, right? It's like, you got to be tired. This is the 20th time, right? I know I'm keeping count. Maybe you're not, but I am, right? And you're like, no, it's not. It may have been the posture of your earthly father or your earthly mom, but it's not the posture of your heavenly father when you come to him broken and contrite over your sin. Not just a change of, of like just this horizontal, not just remorse, but repentance, it reminds me of a song I heard as I was coming in this morning. And I didn't have time to get it on a slide, but you guys might recognize it. 
run to the Father and fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon. And I love this. My soul found a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again. So look, I don't know where you're coming in this morning. I don't know what weight you're carrying. My guess is there's some of us that's carrying some weight, some guilt. And I just want you to hear the invitation of Jesus this morning. His invitation to you is no matter what you have done, no matter how great it seems in your mind, in your heart, he wants to forgive and be in relationship with you. I don't know, this may be a little off, but something that's resonated with my own heart this week is this. What if Judas would have just waited till Sunday? That's it. Two more days, man. Hang on. Maybe his story would have been different because he would have had a place for his guilt. Let's pray together. So may we just be still and quiet before the Lord and, and see how the Spirit stirs in our own hearts this morning. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.